John's Gospel, Chapter 7. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. For he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here, and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret, while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Jesus' family, his brethren, they would have seen and heard the miracle at Cana, the miracle that the Lord did by the pool of Bethesda. They'd have heard that their brother, really a half-brother, and the brother that was divine had this extraordinary power, miraculous endowment from God. Surely they would have understood as Nicodemus that no one can do this unless he was sent from God. But they had difficulty in accepting him. There is an animosity, a jealousy, if the Jewish people delivered Jesus Christ, the leaders, because of that animosity, that jealousy, you see that it not only came from headquarters, but it also happened in the home of Jesus Christ, in familiar territory. And the Lord would say, a prophet, is accepted everywhere except in his hometown, even amongst his relatives. This is the nature of the devil and the nature of God. When people speak about human nature, sometimes we can talk about the limitations, but other times we must confess that human nature is actually diabolical nature. It's the devil's nature. If it's human nature to be envious, then that's the work of the flesh. As you see in the book of Galatians, from verse 19. If human nature is to always try to look good and do things in the open to be seen, as is written, then nature surely is from the devil. And this is what they said. Now the Lord had people who wanted to kill him, a lot of people, just because he told them the truth. And while telling them who he was, he also told them the way to heaven, how to get their sins forgiven, that they can feed on him, they can receive from him, they can have everlasting life, that he's the manna from heaven, the real manna, the true bread, the living bread. For that reason, they wanted to kill him. He was rejected by the masses when he told them, that if you want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. 
Then he explained to them so patiently that the words I'm speaking to you are spirit and life. They had no ear for that. I came across an advertisement in a Christian website, quote-unquote. Even in the very website page of a broadcasting network that's supposed to be Christian, at least predominantly. And there's an advertisement for a Holy Land trip with someone I believe is probably Jewish and another person who was Indian in origin. And I was curious, who is this Indian man and what, are his, what is his background? So he's leading Holy Land tours, or was. And when I clicked on it, they removed that link, it seems, where that link was directing toward the website or the information. I looked up this man. It stated that he came here in the late 70s, and all he earned was a bachelor's degree, just a bachelor's degree. Within 10 years, he was with President Ronald Reagan as a 20-something-year-old shaking the president's hand and became one of his policy advisors. All he had was a bachelor's degree. And uh, he began to write for the newspapers. And every time it would be controversial. And I can see as I read this Indian man's writing that he was really diabolical. He didn't have the light in him, but he's stirring up controversy now. Some of the things he said may be true, but a lot of them were not. But it seems the more he would receive criticism, the more he began to rise to fame. And that shows the state of the people. In fact, he wrote and produced a film about President Obama, and it grossed over $30 million. So he became a millionaire. And he kept going, and he mentioned that he was Catholic, but he loves to attend evangelical church, such as Calvary Chapel, and he was there for 10 years, and I didn't see any change at all in him. How can you go to church, I thought, that's supposed to be evangelical, and you're still a strong Catholic, and very divisive, politically, socially, a star. And he had, no doubt, two divorces, or two rocky relationships, including at least one divorce, I believe it was two also. And then someone made him the president of a Christian college in New York, right in the Empire State Building at that time. And within a short time, because of some scandal, he had to step down. But he's still famous and still the star, I'm sure, of many politically active Indians, as well as many other people in this country. President Trump and his son attended the premiere of one of his movies. I was thinking how confused. And the man said, though I'm Catholic, I have no problem with Reformation theology. Fancy words. It's like Jesus' brothers. They had the law, and just like the larger crowd that wanted to kill Jesus, they thought they knew God, and they knew him very well, because after all, they're from his stock stock of Abraham, but they had no knowledge of God, no intimate dealing with God. And here the Lord is 
there to bring them back to the heart of worship, back to the heart of God. But they're far from God. And so much so that they get angry and they want to push Jesus off the cliff, the crowd at different times, in his hometown. And his brothers want to push Jesus, eject him out of the house. Notice what happens. The Jews sought to kill him. In verse 2, now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, at a feast time, of one of the important feasts, remembering how God led the Israelites so lovingly and told them to make booths. It was a temporary shelter. They lived in tents. They moved from place to place. God was their guide. He was their provider. They didn't have a permanent residence. They were on the move. And God said, I want you to remember this. I want you to get certain branches. And I want you to make temporary shelters. And Jews do this, do this to this day. During the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Shelters. During this time, they're supposed to be happy, although doing this rather peculiar ceremonial duty when celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles to remember something that God did many, many years ago to their forefathers. Instead of being happy, the brothers took the occasion to say, Jesus, get out of here. Get out of the house. Because after all, you want your disciples to see what you're doing, right? You have more following now. Let them all see who you are. Because if you want to be famous, then you can't do anything in secret. So go ahead, go out. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Notice the pretense. God has been taking us these days, as we read in John chapter 6, to expose the fake and the false against the real, the true. As I read the Gospel of the Lord, written by John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I can see how God is diagnosing once again, in the scriptures, as we read the scriptures, human nature. What is human nature? Apart from the instinctive, inborn, biological and physiological characteristics of a human being, apart from certain portions of what people may call intuition, apart from reasoning capacities, capabilities. Predominantly, human nature can be called the devil's nature because what happens? Human nature is at one with the world because the world is made up of human beings. And the Lord says, if you have the love of the world in you, you don't have the love of the Father. That's human nature for you. That's how the Lord diagnosed it. He said human nature is hostile to Jesus Christ. Human nature is hostile to Jesus Christ. And we've seen in John chapter 6. Now you see in Jesus' very home, John chapter 7. How sad. Couldn't the story have been different? The people flocked to him. They loved him. Yes, they saw the multiplication of the bread and fish. They saw the man healed here and that man healed there, that woman and that girl. Shouldn't everyone come and say, Jesus we would like to make you king as they tried to, but their hearts were not really in following God because Jesus is a king and he's God. They wanted the benefits, but not the 
moral responsibility following the Lord because he's God. He's light and there's no darkness in him. And all who follow him must be in the light. Are you in the light? Am I in the light? That's the question that must come to us day and night. Am I in the light? Am I doing things right by God? And if there's a question coming up within our souls and if there's the human nature that comes out, there's darkness from the devil, we have to retract and ask God to help us. Lord, am I doing right in this area? It's easy for Christians to do that in one area and not in another area. There are strongholds. To be humble, notice, to be humble in the sight of God and in the sight of man is not human nature. And someone says, well, I know people who are very humble. They don't have God. Here's a case in point. There's a a young man that I was privileged to give the gospel to many, many years ago. And this young man happened to be a Catholic. And uh, he got born again, and he excitedly went back to the Catholic Church. And he used to tell me, there's a priest there. And this priest is so humble. He's so humble. He really, I'm really drawn to him. And he said, I really want to go back. I know he'd be so happy I'm starting to read the Bible. And he really sang the praises of the so-called priest. And he came back so disappointed. He said, the moment I mentioned that I'm reading the Bible, he got angry. He said, it just amazed me. I was shocked. I thought he'd be happy that I've really come to know Jesus and I'm going to read the Bible now. He said, you're not supposed to do that. You have me. You have the fathers here. You have the... Nuns will tell you what to think about regarding the Bible. But you're not supposed to read it. He came very shocked. How could somebody that appears so humble be so proud? That's human nature. Human nature has qualities of pretense. The Lord has revealed that. He's revealed it. It's not the preacher's theme. You see it all over John chapter 6. What do I do with it? They say, well, I'm going to go from Bethlehem all the way to Bethany. It's been a wonderful life Jesus had. And beautiful ministry and sunshine by the Sea of Galilee and sparkling water. A lot of good things. I love the story of Jesus. A lot of Christians like that. They're very sentimentally devoted and attached to the highlights of Jesus' life. But when Jesus spoke eye to eye with human beings and he revealed their nature, most people today don't even know that God is speaking to them. This morning, we're not here to learn about Jesus. We're here to learn who he is and who we are and how to get right with him. John chapter 2, verse 15, First John that is, Verses 15 to 17, would someone care to turn there? First John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, as we cross-reference this with John chapter 7, where the Lord reveals human nature again, even in his own earthly house. First John 2, 15 to 17. 1 John chapter 2, 
verses 15 to 17 NIV. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Amen. Amen. As I've mentioned, as I mentioned, that Indian journalist, political, politically active figure in Washington, and he is just climbing that success ladder. What happens when a person of a particular culture climbs a success ladder? Many times that person who belongs to a particular culture, that culture begins to hold that individual in high regard, high esteem. Because they're proud. This is one of us. Look, he's made it to the White House at 27 or 28 years old to shake hands with Ronald Reagan. And even though he's very factitious, very divisive, still... He's making tons of money. He's among the rich and famous. That's the world. That's human nature. So Jesus' brothers in John 7 said, no one does what you do. You can make uh, good money with what you're doing. You can be popular. You can, you can really gain the admiration of a lot of people. Why are, you, why are you at home? Go out there. But they really were saying, we hate you. Get out. We don't care what you can do. How can that be? How can it be that God, who is so compassionate, so powerful and doing powerful things, can be hated by people? There are a lot of people who say, I'm not mad at you. God, I'm not mad at you. I like you. But when you tell me that I'm living in fornication, I don't like you. God, I like the fact that you were born in Christmas. I love Rockefeller Center and lighting the tree and Macy's. Oh, the smell of those chestnuts and the music and the Christmas spirit is so wonderful. Even on the radio, I hear rock and roll songs that have a Christmas theme. Isn't that amazing? Christmas spirit is so powerful. That kind of Christmas spirit is lifeless. It's an imposter. Because it's of the world. The lust of the flesh, food, family, fun. God created food. God created family. God created good times. Pure good times. But the world which is run by the devil and it gets into human nature because the world is made up of individuals... They have their own version of food, family, and fun. Usually, the food turns into gluttony, no self-control, an excuse to go crazy. And family is to do what Jesus' brothers tried to say, that um, we're all together, but we just want you to be famous, so would you please go out there? So family is a time of tremendous pride. 
tremendous pride. Why? Uncle so-and-so, look at his house. And look at cousin so-and-so. Look at her car. And look at my mom and my dad. And look at my little little boy over there. He's made it big. And plenty of food, family music, family games. Oh, it's all about family, except that family is a Tower of Babel before God. A lot of activity. A lot of fun. No Jesus Christ there. And for those who say, I'm a Christian, this is family time. It's a time to be happy and let loose a little bit. Here, give me that drink over there. And let Uncle Petey smoke out there. Isn't it wonderful? Everybody's having fun. And when it's all done, I will get three trash cans, large trash cans, and get all the residue, the evidence of fun that occurred over here. Lots of fun. Now it's clean up. I'm happy. Cigarette in mouth. Carry the trash. Tie it all up for the sanitation to pick up in the morning. Belly full. Heart charged with surfeiting. Overcharged. And what happens? Ready to sleep it all off. Wasn't it a great day? God came to the man who thought like that. He said, you fool. Tonight you're going to die. What's going to happen to all that? fun and fellowship family what's going to happen to all those riches you stored up is this foreign to us this is an everyday occurrence God says you're not to be like that you're a pilgrim remember you don't belong to this world do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him be careful for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. The world is dying. And the desire is within it. But the one who does the will of God will live forever. The Lord says it's a very easy choice. I should say very easily differentiated. One is one pathway that leads to death. The other one leads to life. You can't have both. What is the Holy Spirit doing? He's detailing for us the very markers of a worldly life, a.k.a. human nature, a.k.a. the devil's nature. It's helpful for us. It's helpful for us to know the details of how the Holy Spirit checks us out and shows us. To those who are really born again, very lovingly, my dear child, this right here is not from the Father. God says, I love you. Praise God for the forgiveness. But he said, this right here, these two elements, in your life, your conversation, in your desires, these are not from the Father. Watch out. From the world, the father of the world, that is the father of this fallen human nature is the devil. So you have to get rid of that if you're going to stay with the heavenly father. That's when there's a problem. That's why Jesus wanted to, or the people, the brothers wanted to get Jesus out of there. He didn't want them. They didn't want him, brother. They didn't want him around. They tried to get him out. The reason? 
They didn't believe in him. They made it sound like, you have power. People love you. You have a lot of people. Why don't you go out there in the open? Don't you want to be famous, Jesus? Pride of life. So we see that the devil not only tempted the Lord in the wilderness to say, I can give you all the riches of the world, make you rich and famous. But the devil, that sneaky serpent, also came through his own brothers. Do you know the voice of the devil when the devil speaks through your family members? Can you recognize the voice of the serpent who's hissing in your own mind, trying to bait you? Oh, hallelujah. Thank God for his word and his Holy Spirit to help us to know this is not right. The more we get closer to God, the more he'll show us more. So we can never go wrong. We can be in the light. We don't have to fall at all. And then Jesus said unto them, verse 6, The time has not yet come. Your time is always ready. Always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify, I'm bearing witness against it, that its works are evil. This is what got Jesus into trouble. When the prophet Elijah came to King Ahab, he said, oh, troubler of Israel, are you come? Elijah said, I'm not the one who's troubling Israel, you and your wicked house. Wow. That's exactly what Jesus said. He said, I don't have a demon. You do. Your father's the devil. I'm telling you the truth. But you're full of evil and anger and hatred and murder and uncleanness. I wonder if we have that testimony. If we don't, we can. What testimony? Before the living God, as he looks at our hearts, he can say, my daughter, my son, I can see you have zero connection with uncleanness. Zero connection with evil spirits. Zero connection with seducing doctrines of demons. What is the seducing doctrine of the devil? Well, it's not only that, as is written in the book of Timothy, that if you abstain from meats, that it will help you along with holiness. Uh, if you don't marry, you can be more pure. These are the doctrines of devils. Uh, so we can see readily which pseudo-Christian religions um, talk about these things. You know, there's a Seventh-day Adventism. There's a branch of that segment that believes that you should not eat meat. If you're vegetarian, that's really the desire of God and that's going to be a part of your salvation. Now, to eat meat or not is an individual preference. God said, I've given everything to be eaten. You can choose. But the problem is when a cult or some person who has a cultic mindset says, everybody else ought to be a meat eater. And if you're not, you're not going to have it. Or, on the other hand, everybody must abstain from eating meat. You have to be a vegetarian, otherwise you're not making to heaven. That's wrong. To make it a law for everybody. But individually we have the preference we can choose. And also we have scriptural counsel in the New Testament. Paul the Apostle, writing by the Holy Spirit, says, 
that everything is clean, sanctified by the word and the prayer. So anything, we can eat basically anything if it's not unclean in the sense of um, something disgusting, not because it's food, it's a creature, but because it has elements of uh, what most people would consider pollution. Some dirt, something like that, some something that is contaminating and unhealthy. But the Bible says all the creatures are given. There's no cannibalism, obviously. There's no human consumption, but so much so that the Lord said when you go and you minister, he told his disciples, Whatever they set before you eat, he said, eat that. We see further, as you study scripture, something is defiling, not ceremonially, like the Jews were told for a season, to mark the difference of God's people from that of the world. God used different markers. He gave different laws and regulations to keep them distinct. But there is a, it was a shadow pointing to the substance, which is inward purity inward separation from the world. Once that law served this purpose, Jesus came, it was done away with. All the ceremonial aspects. But, even within the freedom that God gives to eat, whatever we want to eat, because it gets sanctified by the word and by prayer, before we eat it, obviously there are some things that are just very harmful. Somebody gives you a pound of pure fat on your plate and say, we eat fat in our culture. Eat fat. If we have knowledge and light that is going to cause heart attack and cause problems, it would be sensible and right before God to tell the people that it's not a good practice. Now, if you have nothing now, I believe that I need energy. I have to eat this. I don't eat it regularly and I'm going to eat it this one time or while I'm here. Well, you modify things. You see, that's a, a compromise that God will lead us to, I believe, in certain situations. But a culture where we visit and they set before a person something so disgusting that has elements of the sewer, quite literally, mixed with the food, we're not obligated to eat that. God can help us to separate that which is good from evil, need the good, and politely and lovingly, humbly, tell the people why it's not in keeping with God's spirit, his word, to include something that has sewer elements into the food set on the table. We understand the point. When the Holy Spirit points to us and says, I want you to be humble, before God and man. Jesus' brothers in John chapter 7, according to what was in them, that we read from 1 John 2.15, this worldly desire, demonic desire to be seen and heard and to be famous, to use the power and say, I've got it. They're trying to put that over on Jesus to say, go ahead and perform. It's the Son of God. He didn't come to perform, to gain an audience and following. 
He came to save people's souls. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to see Jesus' face. They didn't want to hear his voice. They said, get out. Why? Because he's good and they're evil. We have to face that. We have to understand. If we love Jesus, sometimes, sometimes we may end up offending family. That's not God's desire, that families be split. He loves unity. God is a God of unity. He loves unity. But the unity can only happen if the people who are coming for the unity have the truth in them. Otherwise, it's a farce. And sometimes it'll come to a head like here, where the people who recognize, you know what? You're really not with the family program, are you? You're strange. You're weird. You're a fanatic. Always talking about Jesus and always talking about following him and that you're in the light and people in the darkness. You're always indicting us, always pointing fingers. We feel condemned around you. Would you please leave so we can continue our party? Why? Because the truth is against darkness and darkness is against the truth. Light and darkness don't mix. Jesus told them, he didn't argue with them, he didn't start to get angry. Don't you know who I am? He said, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you. You can do whatever you want anytime. The world loves you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Do you have this testimony? Do I have this testimony? That anytime I see evil happening, particularly amongst people who call themselves Christians, I'm not called to go on Facebook and rant and rave against everybody in the world and no, but if those who call themselves Christians, a Christian brother, a Christian sister, one who loves the Lord, if they're engaged in evil, we cannot keep quiet, can we? Otherwise, we will be hiding the light, not shining it. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit, there's a way and a time to speak. And a certain content that God wants us to convey, but we must testify we see evil amongst our own spiritual family something's going on that's shady we have to speak out speak up <clears throat> in our own family physical family sometimes we have to speak as I had to many many years ago talking to an elder in the family who sang the praises of a local preacher. And I said, you know, that article shows that this preacher that you're praising, a community activist, activist actually supports homosexuality and abortion. I said, no, that's wrong. The response I got was, you're, you're small. You're so young. You think you know everything. Be quiet. But I had the conviction from the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't back down with that. There's no arguing going on. And, but there's a contention for sure because good and evil don't mix. Light and darkness don't mix. You go up to this feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast for my time's not yet fully come. He didn't back down. He didn't get bullied by them. He didn't do what they said to be a people pleaser. How many people 
try to please people, even their family. They don't want to offend because of the truth. Because they may kick me out of the party. You know, we've been planning so long. Lord, I'll tell them later after the party's over. That's uh, Judas right there. Oh, my God. If I see something God hates in my family or in a party, my family is hosting, I must speak up and say, I'm not part of this. Even if they say, get out of here then. Because I'm a part of the light. Hallelujah. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, He's good. Others said, No, on the contrary, he deceived the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Even the people who had this difference of opinion, they're afraid of the, the leaders. It wasn't politically correct to talk about Jesus. And they didn't want to be part of the controversy. Jesus said when he was arrested before his crucifixion. I spoke openly every day. I didn't hide anything. What's this that you're doing to me now? The truth is bold if we're of the truth. We have to speak the truth. And Lord said, I'll be with you. We have met and counseled people over the years, leaders and laity alike. Tremendous compromise. And that's why they were so happy, superficially with their family, with their church. Because no one would say anything if one was watching some talk show. It's full of filth. It's just a talk show. And he's funny. He's quippy. And he's, he's uh, talking about politics and society. And you have a good laugh. And he's a great guy. He said, all I love, I'm not into women or wine, really. I'm into cars. He's a wonderful guy. Leave him alone. But he's a devil's agent to proliferate Satan's agenda. And what does a Christian have to do with that? Nobody says anything. And that one, she likes to go to the movies because Spider-Man is out. There's nothing wrong with that, is Is there? Go ahead. Go to the movies. And the other one, she's a great lady, has a great guy, really has a heart for the poor and house, but loves to go to the bar once in a while. Nothing wrong with that. He's not a drunkard, is he? What, one night you get drunk out of the month, you're a drunkard? No. He always makes it work on time and provides for the family. The other one is into pornography. Well, at least he or she is not touching anyone. Everybody has their little, you know, 
quirky side and their own little demons they have to deal with. Nobody's perfect. When the truth speaks out, because a person is not possessed with an evil spirit, but by the Holy Spirit, they're God's possession. There's a grief that comes in, as well as an anger against what the devil's doing to people. And God would give the compassion and the firmness to convey the truth, to set them free. When everybody's going down that cliff, over that cliff, together, hand in hand, singing We Are the World and all kinds of songs. Christians and churches, God only knows. Like uh, that waterfalls, an avalanche. How many churches would you be shocked if I were to say this morning, on Judgment Day, we may find entire churches going down to hell together. The pastor and everyone in the church together going down to hell. Cast into hell by the angel. Entire churches. When you see how people love darkness, they love food and family and a fun time without the truth and without holiness and without walking in a manner worthy of God's name, then it shouldn't be surprising. But we need eyes to see. Jesus Christ spoke to Nicodemus gently in the night time. He didn't say, Nicodemus, one of the rulers of the Sanhedrin, what brings you here? Rabbi, nobody can do what you do. And why are you coming to me at night? I don't have any office hours right now. I think you're a coward. Go back. When I come to preach in the temple tomorrow, come up to me then. Let's see if you have any guts. That's not how the Lord spoke. He didn't even address the fact that he came under the cover of darkness that night to speak to Jesus because he found Nicodemus sincere and he worked with him. God will work with us. But he's saying, just be sincere. Don't play games. If you really want the truth, come to the truth. Don't try to have have one foot with the world or lukewarm Christianity and one foot with me. It's not going to work. You have to leave one to come to the other. But he spoke gently to Nicodemus and the point that needs to be heard here at this juncture is that other times he was blazing with fury. That's right, Jesus Christ. He was. He didn't go there very gently to overturn the tables with his fingers. He was consumed with zeal and that strong passion. He was angry that they're making his father's house a den of thieves. When he spoke to the people, he was angry. God gets angry. Jesus is God. He never changes. So there will be times when you will be consumed with anger, not wrath, to inflict punishment and to boast and be proud, but to have that righteous anger that look how Satan is working in my family, 
or in my friends or in those who call themselves Christians, there's a holy anger that will rise up because the devil is perverting things and taking people prisoner because they don't want the knowledge of the truth. There's an anger that can come up. At that time, it would be wrong to suppress it. We need to understand that. Remember, the righteous indignation and anger happens to a believer who's walking in the light sometimes, not all the time. Because the Spirit of God is hostile against the works of the flesh, and the flesh itself. There's an animosity there. The anger won't be manifested like the world's anger, and people were not saved. When one is walking in the Spirit, the anger will be within the confines of righteousness. The righteousness of God. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath or anger. For the wrath or anger of man, the world's way, doesn't work the righteousness of God. It's written in the book of James. But we do see God getting angry. Oh, if you go from Genesis to Revelation, you see God getting angry a lot of times. It's not because he's an angry God. His personality is anger. Characterized by anger? No. He's the most loving person. But when he sees death snatching his beloved creation, the serpent in the house, he gets angry. We need to have that kind of backbone and anger. And we see the devil coming in instead of being soft on sin and soft being persuaded as we heard yesterday by foolish diabolical twists of our own conveyance of the truth by a family who hates the truth and tries to intimidate us. We need to know the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flees when no man pursues. But the righteous are bold as a lion. Sometimes we have to speak up and tell the family, get this out of here right now. I mentioned about this preacher out in California, Vietnam veteran. <clears throat> He's on the radio still in his mid-70s now. I occasion to meet him in California when we went, went out there. He's a part of a movement that has a huge following. And when he became born again after being a killer, quite literally a killer, in war and fighter and full of fury, <clears throat> got born again. And his father, who was very abusive to his mother, and he wanted to kill his father. But when he got born again, he began to pray for his father. And one day his father came to visit this preacher and his family, his young family. And when the father came, he had a beer can in his hand. And this preacher told the father, you can't come in here with that. The father got enraged and it almost came to blows. But God intervened and
that beer can didn't come into the house. And this preacher, years later, had the privilege to see a very abusive home that he grew up in, where the father was just physically very brutal with his mother. And this child was brought up in this heavily violent environment. No wonder he became violent. But a lot of drinking from the father and adultery and physical violence against the mother. This preacher, because he stood for righteousness and he spoke the truth in love, but firmly would not compromise, he saw both mother and father come to the Lord. It's a beautiful, God extended their lives. They lived to old age. So a picture of them dancing together after a history of adultery, drunkenness, rage, physical abuse, brutal abuse. Oh, God. He brought peace. He brought salvation. How beautiful. What God can do when we don't compromise. The devil will try to say, you know, if you, don't, if you speak up now, you're going to cause us a problem. And there are times to speak when the Holy Spirit leads. But there are times when the Lord will say, speak and be firm, decisive. Don't back down. Let the anger of God consume that filth that's in your house. Well, how do I do it when they don't want to let go of it? You have to pray much and say, Lord, set me ablaze with your holiness. That the boldness would come when I have to speak and the words will come like an arrow. Pierce through the darkness that the family is involved in. It may be alcohol, it may be pornography, it may be gambling, some vice or vices. Usually the demons are together. That's why horror movies... Often horror films have immorality within them. One demon is buddy-buddy with another demon. They're all from the same place. And so they bring in violence and gore and bloodshed and murder and bring in also immorality with that and other things, profanity and violence, put it all together. And you have a beautiful blockbuster from Hollywood and how many Christians are led by the chains of Satan who's laughing all the way to the bank? I've got souls. Let them go to their assemblies of God churches. Spirit-filled people. Devil's overjoyed, rolling over with a belly laugh. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Come on. Go and worship. Sunday morning. Sing your heart out. And then come to the movie theater. Or bring the movies to your home, onto your phone. I love it. You're my kind of man, my kind of woman, my kind of boy and girl. That's the kind of Christian I love. Because he's a fake. But when the Holy Spirit takes over our life entirely as we yield ourselves to the truth, then God will give us that boldness because our lives are pure. We'll have some backing when we speak. Too many Christians want to be politically correct in some portions of Christianity where it's favorable to speak out against abortion, against uh, homosexuality. And they think, you know what, we're righteous. My church and a bunch of churches are going to come up in the community and 
we have anti-abortion day and look, people holding up signs and every motorist that goes by, they can't ignore it. All these Christians, isn't it wonderful? I hate abortion and, and save babies. Wonderful. Wonderful. The devil can't be more happier. Why? Is it because he's against abortion too? Because they're holding up the signs against abortion. They're Christians. Look, you have a a unity of the churches for a common cause, evangelical cause. Beautiful. Except the people holding the signs. They have drugs in their family. Alive and well. Smoking cigars and cigarettes. You have people who love pets more than human beings. Spend an awful lot of time with the pets. Neglect the souls. Pets aren't wrong. But the proportion has to be right. God gives us wisdom. Human souls are worth far more than any pet. Because God made man in his image, not the pets. There's a place for pets. But there are people. Everything's warped and twisted. They love on the pets and provide for them and have a great social interaction with the pets while the souls are dying in their families. And others, they're into hoarding money and everybody's working. Everything looks fantastic. Money, 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 money. Souls are getting closer to hell by the day. Christians holding up anti-abortion signs on a particular day. So the whole community knows. Want to save babies. Meanwhile, babies in their own home are going to hell. And others have all kinds of filth, homosexual TV shows and other immorality and different things. But I'm holding up, you know, because the pastor called and some local activist called, sent out the email, we all ought to get together for the cause of Christ. It's kingdom time. We're going to stand and line up the streets on Main Street. End to end. Anti-abortion. Let the people know. We stand for God. We stand for babies. Now, when the baby's born, what happens? I saved the baby. Make that baby a twofold son of hell than you are. That's what Jesus said. He said, you come past land and sea. You're so active in evangelism. It's beautiful. Sarcastically saying. Adding my own few words there. The Lord said, a matter of fact, but sometimes we need to hear it this way. Beautiful. So active in evangelism. The moment you get a convert, you make that person a two-fold, two-time son of hell than you are. Because in your life, you're a slave to cigarettes, slave to drugs, slave to alcohol, slave to immorality. But your teeth are pretty white. Your hair is just dazzling. Your clothing, scintillating. Your perfume, out of this world. And you have a smile when you give the gospel. It's wonderful. Except you are under the bondage to Satan. May the Lord speak to us. These people, they said he's good. Some people said, no, he's not good. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how did this, how did this man know letters? How does he know about these things? This uh, education in the scriptures has he never studied. We didn't study. We never saw him in the rabbinical school. 
He's a carpenter. He's hanging around with some fishermen and other people, tax collectors. Where did he get this input? He's talking like a scholar. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine, doctrine, this body of truth that I am giving you, this truth, this teaching, is not mine, but his who sent me. He's saying, I'm getting it directly from the Father. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, the truth, whether it is from God, whether I speak on my own authority. Notes. The condition to really knowing Jesus is right here. You may want to underline it or highlight it. The condition to knowing God, when people say, how can I know God and how can I know his will? And, you know, a lot of things I don't understand the Bible. More light will come when we heed the light that's been given. If anyone wills to do his will. God told me today, I've got a clean house and I've got to speak the truth. I've got to purify myself. I've got to take this. 100% serious. When a person has that kind of understanding, they follow through to doing what God said for them to do. For him or her to do. God says he will know the truth is coming down from God. More will be given. To whom much is given, much more will be required. The one that has, even more will be given. What does it mean to have? It means to hold on to it, abide in it, walk in it, work it out. God said, put immorality to death. If you don't put it to death, you're going to go into darkness because you're already dabbling with it, you see? A person can become a monster. All of a sudden, the demonic spirits overpower the persuasion. We've heard quite a number of people like that. They started out good. They started out in the church. Led by demons, they went outside. Because they didn't obey in certain areas and the devil had a hook, a foothold. Went from a toehold to a foothold to a stronghold. They became diabolical and all of a sudden everything was twisted. They started having large following in churches and adultery scandals and money scandals and actually started changing the gospel. Why? How can that happen with someone who looks so innocent and really wanted to do the right thing, didn't follow through? Decided I'll obey, I'll obey here, and I'll disobey there. One out of five isn't bad, is it? Two out of five, three out of five, four out of five? That's how the de demons come in. But if we do his will, we'll grow in the truth. We'll never be deceived. Hallelujah. There's an insurance To protect you against deception. That is a heart that's willing to obey everything that God says and to do it right away. You can never fall. He who speaks, he says that the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak of my own authority, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And no unrighteousness is in him. And then he goes on to talk about Moses.
If I'm really a true servant of God, I'll be speaking what God says, not my own private interpretation. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. He hit it right on the head. That's the problem. The problem is not that God's salvation is complicated and the way of holiness is too strict. The problem is your heart is not right. You really love filth. That's the problem. You don't want to obey God's law. Why do you seek to kill me? Look what happened to you. The people answered and said, You have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? You mentally off? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work. And later on he'll say, Your father's the devil. I did one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Why did they do that? It was a token. It was a physical ceremonial duty God gave to represent a consecration to God in the heart. And that's why later on he'll speak through Jeremiah and others saying circumcise the foreskins of your heart. He gets so specific. He says you're so busy doing this ceremonial duty. You know what it's about. I'm not saying anything that's going to make you blush. You do this every, every time. Circumcise little baby boys. But you're missing the purpose for which I gave that shadow of the law. The substance is a heart that is not, un, not unclean anymore. A heart that's been purified. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, so religious but you missed the point are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath is God about healing or what you're looking at the letter of the law check off the check boxes I attended service I gave the tithe I did this that and the other thing when it comes to tithe there are people who don't even do that somebody said this morning well that's terrible they're just disobeying God you got to tithe the word tithe means tent. That's what the word tithe actually means in the original language. Tent. People say, well, how are we robbing God? Are you giving a tenth of everything that's coming in? Everything that comes into your possession. Everything, not just your salary. Every increase. Are you giving a tenth? If not, not even keeping that part of the law. But he says, you're doing these things. And they might have said, well, we are giving the tenth. But he said, you can do those things. As he would say later, do the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, do it all. Tithe. The way God told you to tithe. Don't cut corners and try to do it your own way and say, I did it. But make sure you have an obedient, willing heart to yield to the light every time God shines his light on your life. Make sure you're willing to obey him and have compassion, justice, and real faith. Do not judge according to appearance. 
but judge with righteous judgment. These are the people who said, oh, they didn't wash their hands. Started complaining. Why does your disciple? Why do your disciples not wash their hands? And everybody else does. What's wrong? They also listen. You're dirty on the inside, though you may think you're clean on the outside. My disciples are clean on the inside, so the outside will be taken care of also. As we conclude this morning with this section in John chapter seven, if you don't like to go outside with your hair not combed. Remember, it's far more serious if your spirit is not in order, if your heart is not in order before God. If you don't like to go to work in your pajamas or some wrinkled outfit, be the laughing stock of everybody. Remember, if you're not clothed with righteousness that comes from God in doing His will, it's far more serious than the external appearance. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Inward purity. Having the boldness because the life is actually walking in the light. Glory be to God that this ministry in this church is about being humble before God and man, but speaking the truth in love, but speaking the truth firmly. No compromise, saying, Lord Jesus, help us to truly reflect your love and your truth, your light beginning in Jerusalem in our own families. They've got to see you're very, very different. There's a change. We have people come and tell us that their family members have said, you are very, very different. What happened to you? And they have traced it to the exact time that they began to attend this church or this ministry. Glory be to God. That's how it should be with every church. We're not called to be a separate church set on a hill all by ourselves. God says all of you can be on the hill, like a city that's set on a hill. But the problem is too much drunkenness with the world, too much gambling of people's souls, user-friendly, seeker-friendly places. You can have a family church, hallelujah, and have a big billboard and electronic sign saying family church, everybody's welcome, hot dogs, soda pop, and uh, a 15-minute sermon, 45 minutes church. Wonderful. God is on the scene. But even in the very church for those 45 minutes or so, there's a blatant disregard for the presence of God. You know Why? Because even though the presence of God is not there, what they read in the scriptures talks about it. They don't even care about that. We don't care if he's here or not. We're here. We have the Christian t-shirts on. And you know what? We have a minister. We have, where's the minister? Where's he at? Bring him up. We have a minister. We have a chapel. We have pews. We have a choir. We have singers. and We have a pantry ministry. Hallelujah. Local mayor loves our church and our pastors on the council of this and that. The entire establishment will go over the cliff to hell on Judgment Day. There's no righteousness found within that church. But we glorify God that people here have testified there's been a marked change within the soul, so much so, it's almost like 
the glow that was on Moses' face. The dazzling radiance that came from the face of Moses when he came down from the mountain after being with God. He didn't know. It says Moses did not know that his face was shining with the glory of God. A portion, a tiny fragment of it, but it's so powerful that people were afraid to look at his face. That's the testimony we want. Without even trying to show that I'm Christian. Not hiding it either. But without trying to show that I'm more holy, they can see it right away. You know why? As we read from John chapter 7 and John chapter 6 so far, the evil spirits and people, family members, distant relatives, colleagues, fellow students, neighbors, without you even trying, the evil spirits within them will become very ruffled. They begin to gnash their teeth. They may do it with a smile, but you can see them gnashing their teeth. Because darkness is hostile to the truth, to the light. Lie is hostile to the truth and vice versa. It's bound to happen. It happened to Jesus. He didn't mind all of the show of the devil, the threatenings, because he knew, I'm with the Father. He told them, he destroyed this temple three days I will raise it up hallelujah hallelujah when you're standing for the truth you have zero fear when you're walking in that truth and speaking the truth in love it's because men and women over the centuries beginning from the time of Enoch Enoch the prophets and prophetesses the number of prophetesses in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Prophets and prophetesses. Evangelists, apostles, pastors, teachers. All of them who were living in the light, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. When they spoke, the dividing line was laid down for society. Everybody knew very clearly who's on the side of truth and who's not. There's no mix-up and confusion anymore. Because the man of God came. The woman of God came. And the Spirit of God came with them. Hallelujah. And there were people like in Moses' time when the Lord told or spoke to Moses and said, who's on the Lord's side? Everybody's dancing and doing evil things. Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? And the Levites came over to side immediately. There's a division. If where you are and where you are going does not cause a division, then it's very questionable, highly questionable whether you're really walking the truth or just pretending. When you walk in the truth, you sit your son down, your daughter down, and say, listen, I love you. God is changing me by his mercy. Certain things cannot be in this house. Do you understand? But Ma, Daddy, if you really love me, I'm called to love the Lord Jesus Christ first, foremost. Even though you're my baby, and I love you, I give my life for you. Not above the Lord. His word says, this is evil, this is from the world, and this house is a sanctuary for God. 
Hallelujah. Tell the spouse who tries to intimidate and force to do something wrong, something you know is not from God. Stand your ground and say, I'm not going to be part of this. Well, I suppose I'm going to go ahead and call my attorney and it's going to be divorce. Don't do that. Because it's not God telling you to do that. It's the devil. I love you with all my heart. I love the Lord more. And if we want to have a good marriage, I'm not going to be a part of anything that's not from God. No longer can you intimidate me, bully me around, try to persuade me. Oh, what a change. How? God, who saw his prophets standing for the truth, many of them killed, commended them. They're wearing the crowns in heaven. Or at least the prelude to the crowning coronation day. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. John chapter 7, we see Jesus' brothers as we come to a close this morning. His own family said, go get that silver, man. Get that gold. You're going to have a lot of property. Go show yourself off. Do those miracles. I mean, it's one of a kind. Get that crowd. Jesus said here, as we have read, I want to be true to the Father. I'm of the truth. I'm going to speak only the truth. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. Yes, I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have my Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than worldly applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain and be held 
in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord, for truth. Thank you, Jesus. We need you, Lord. Thank you that you love us so much that you don't hold back the truth even when we don't like it. When the flesh rises up, Lord, I thank you for teaching us how with the truth we can subdue the flesh, overtake it, and crucify it so the Holy Spirit can have full sway. Not sin's dread sway, but the Spirit's sweet sway in our entire lives that we be a sweet fragrance, Lord of Christ, everywhere. Though we'll be the smell of death to some, with the fragrance of life to others. But we want to be true to you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for your loving kindness, tender mercies. I thank you that, Lord, you've called people to live the truth, live in the light. We can be the light. This dark world, we praise you. Bless the meetings today, Lord, for your spirit upon your children. And everyone who attends, Lord, help them, Lord, to be relishing and desiring to eat more of your word, your righteousness, and get stronger. And Lord, to be able to be your mouthpiece in this world, how desperately they need it, how desperately our families need it, Lord. People who can speak the truth in love, but with no compromise. People will get angry sometimes because the anger of the Lord will come. Not to be wrathful and loud-mouthed, argue, but to say firmly with the zeal of the Lord, this has to be out of the house, not pleasing to Jesus. Take a stand, thereby cleanse the area. And give hope to the people, even if they're hostile, they don't like the cleansing, because they have darkness within them, to clearly show the standard of the Lord. There's no confusion anymore. Thank you, Lord. Every meeting be blessed in Jesus' name. O Holy One of Israel, may this day go according to your plans, Lord. Give safety, give direction, give prosperity to people. And I bless them with that in Jesus' name. And healing, O Father, mercies, relief from pain and problems. O God, you should pray and believe. I pray that you manifest your glory in your people's lives with healing, Lord. Comfort and peace in your pure doctrine. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen.